0: Take your Bible and open to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, and we are coming to the uh, end of our study in the book of uh, Romans 6 tonight, with verse 23, the last uh, verse there in that chapter, excuse me, one of the most uh, profound statements in all the New Testament, if not the entire Bible, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a statement of truth, a statement that uh, concisely describes the contrast between death and life, uh, the results of slavery to sin and the free gift of God for those of us who are united with Christ. And again, it comes at the end of the most pivotal chapter, I think, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, the great apostle, as we've been working our way through the study, you know, has been laying out before us the practical ramifications or the practical results of one who has indeed been truly justified by faith alone and Christ alone. And Romans 6 really is uh, uh, lays out for us the great liberty that exists in Christ. It lays out the freedom that the Christian has in Christ, freedom from slavery to sin and freedom to serve both God and Christ in righteousness. And again, Paul has been laying out that contrast between who we once were before salvation to who we are now in christ before christ we were slaves of sin our minds our affections our wills uh, were in bondage to sin held captive to obey that cruel master but when we came to christ when we were born again by the miracle of regeneration that brought an extraordinary change in our life at that moment we were liberated from our slavery to sin and immediately transferred into a new slavery with a new master that being the person of the lord jesus christ Now, our new master and our new slavery is wonderful because everything that our new master, our new Lord commands us to do is good, acceptable, and perfect. And obedience to him leads to nothing more except more fullness of blessings in our lifetime. He's such a gracious master, a kind master, a loving master, one who has provided for all of our needs, one who guides us and directs us and walks alongside us in every step of our journey in life. Again, being a slave to Christ is the greatest slavery that we could ever know or experience. This uh, past week, as I was studying, I came across a book that was written in 1950 that I think really does a good job of uh, illustrating the essence of uh, chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. And, and it was in an article entitled Set Free in Ordered to Serve. It comes from the uh, author Arthur S. Maxwell in a book called Uncle Arthur's Bedtime Stories. All right? I don't know if you remember that or have ever seen that book, but this is how the article reads. It says, In those bad old days when slavery was still practiced, Old Joe stood in the marketplace awaiting auction. He was a grand specimen of manhood, big, strong, healthy, but on his face at this moment there was an expression of anger and stubbornness that only faintly reflected the rebellious feelings in his heart. His master had died, and in consequence he and many others of his fellow slaves were to be sold at public auction to the highest bidder, and how he hated it all. He hated his chains. He hated the system which made it possible for human beings to be bought and sold like cattle. He hated the dreadful humiliation. While he stood there waiting in the hot sun, there grew up in his heart a determination that he would not be bought, and if he were, he would never work for his new uh, master. Presently, his name was called... Uh, Presently, his name was called. The auctioneer began to describe him. He says, Joe is a fine, strong fellow. Lots of hard work in him yet. I will not work, cried Joe in desperation. The auctioneer ignored him and went on giving his age and his height and his weight and other particulars. What offers, he concluded. Someone made a bid. I will not work, cried Joe at the top of his voice. No one bothered. The bidding went on, and Joe listened with interest that merged into amazement. He had no idea he was worth so much. Up and up went the price. Gradually, the number of bidders decreased, but two or three went on. One man seemed determined to purchase him, whatever the cost might be. At last, when the price had reached the highest figure Joe had ever heard for a slave, the hammer fell, and he was sold. Soon his new master came over to where he was standing. "'I will not work,' said Joe. "'You can thrash me, but I will not work. I told you that before.' The new master said nothing, but proceeded to lead him away into his wagon. All, uh, uh, all the way out to the plantation, Joe kept muttering to himself, I won't work, I won't work. At last they arrived, and the master, instead of taking Joe to the usual dirty slave quarters, led him to a neat little cottage, remarking, Joe, this will be your home while you are with us. This is for me, said Joe, surprised. Thank you, but I will not work. You do not need to work, said his master. Just live here as long as you please. But master, cried Joe in utter amazement, aren't you going to try to make me work? Oh, no, said the master quietly. I bought you to set you free. To set me free? Oh, master, cried Joe, falling on his knees before him. How can I thank you enough? I will gladly serve you always and do anything you want me to do. From that moment, Joe became the most faithful and loyal servant the master ever had. That's a pretty good picture of what happens when, when and with our what happened in our life, who we used to be, right? When we were slaves to sin, which led to death, and then in the kindness, the tremendous mercy and grace of God, He bought us by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free, right? He He bought us to set us free from that old lifestyle, that terrible life of slavery to sin. So the question is, with that reality, how could we ever? do anything less than serve the one who saved us, right? The one who delivered us from that kind of bondage. How could we ever go back to the old slavery, that old dirty slavery being under the control of sin and under the control of Satan? Luther, in his commentary, says in Romans chapter 6 that uh, Romans 6 could really be summed up by saying that the believer in Christ, believers in Christ are dead to sin, therefore they are servants of Christ and they must live in holiness. And that's been the entire theme of the chapter, living in holiness before God. Right, So that's a statement of reality. It's a statement of truth, the freedom that we have in Christ, which is, again, a complete contrast uh, to the objectors. Remember, there were some people who were staying in objection to Paul uh, and him teaching the doctrine of grace. People protested, the antagonists protested, that if Paul uh, taught free grace in the re- context of salvation, that it would lead only to a life of lawlessness and indulgence in sin. And, and Paul has been repeatedly showing the error of that kind of thinking, teaching that grace, rather than law, Instead of leading sinners into a life of self-indulgence and wanton sin, grace has the opposite effect. Grace leads people into lives of holiness and right living. Superabounding grace gives liberty, not license to sin. That's why he said at the top of the chapter, Romans 6, 1, What shall we sin then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Verse 2, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 15, What then? Shall we uh, 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 sin? Uh, because we are not under the law but under grace again may it never be all Right. so romans 6 is really uh i've kept telling you all along it's the emancipation of the christian it's the paul again refuting the teaching of uh, the suggestion that any man who is uh, truly saved can continue to live a life of sin because a man who's truly saved a man who understands again the doctrine of justification by faith alone is a man who desires not to live in sin. He hates sin. He loathes sin. He flees from sin. Rather, what he does is he presents his body to God and to Christ for their service. He is one who's alive from the dead, one who's been risen uh, with life, new life with Christ, united with Christ. He walks in that newness of life, uh, again, only as a man who is in Christ can do, only as uh, God in Christ can give new life to that man. It really is a monstrous to su- suggestion to uh, think that a man can be saved, that a man can uh, call Jesus a Savior, but that very same man live a life of uh, ungodliness and sin until one day he decides to make Jesus his Lord, until one day he decides to walk in obedience. Again, it's a monstrous suggestion. It's completely unbiblical. It's completely contrary to Romans chapter 6 and the Apostle's entire uh, argument here in this chapter. Again, the Christian, the one who's been justified as an act of mercy by God through the person of Jesus Christ, has died to sin. Therefore, again, verse 2, he can no longer live in it. Because he's united with Christ, the justified believer understands and knows that his old man, who he used to be, has been crucified with Christ in order that his body of sin might be done away with. That means completely rendered inoperable, useless. So the Christian now is no longer a slave to sin, but he's a freed man. Freed from sin, sin's no longer his master, now the Christian is dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse twelve says, "Therefore the Christian will not let sin reign in his mortal body as to obey its lust." The Christian, verse thirteen, will go on now presenting his members uh, will not go on presenting the members of his body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but the Christian will present himself to God as one who's alive from the dead, and he will present his members as instruments of righteousness, righteousness to God. Charles Hodge the great uh, theologian said this the gospel of grace for those who have been freely pardoned ignites a sense of divine love and through the power of the indwelling spirit of God it awakens holy affections in the believer therefore the believer is now motivated not by fear of the law which could never produce the righteousness of God but the believer is now obedient to the love of God poured out in his quickened soul now the love of God and the glory of God are now the motivational factors of all the redeemed and all they do or say isn't that good Right? The love of God controls us. Right? So, not only does the Christian now have an obligation to render himself unto holiness, he has that desire, he has that ability in Christ because of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. His former master, sin and the devil, have been rendered null and void because he's been justified by grace to the person of Jesus Christ. Again, he has a new master, that being the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's now a slave of God and a slave of righteousness. Therefore, because of that love that he has for his new master, the Christian, Would never want to engage in any kind of activity that would cause or that caused his Lord to suffer on Calvary's cross. The the Christian who has a new master would never want to engage in any of that former lifestyle that caused his Lord to suffer and to die on Calvary's cross. That's why the hymn writer says, years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. But now we do, right? For years, before we came to Christ, we didn't care. But now, in Christ, we do. Now we understand the issue, right? Because there's been a contrast, a change in our person. That's what grace has done. Grace has made us completely new in Christ. Uh, Again, it's an utterly ridiculous charge that the gospel of free grace would ever lead someone to a life of service to sin. It's completely absurd. Because the justified believer now senses or the justified believer now serves his new master he walks in righteousness he walks in obedience because again he has been freed from sin and enslaved to god before we were saved we were we were uh, slaves of sin and the text of the bible says we were freed with regards to righteousness but the christian i've been advocating this who we were and who we are i've been advocating an understanding of this principle that we remember our former life we remember who we used to be apart from christ we remember that the uh, we were completely living a totally useless life, a life that led to only shame, a life that led to death. Now we're different. We were, but now we are. right? As those enslaved to God, the former sinner now praises God because God has freed us from our sin. God, again, as, as our new master, and we love our new master. Again, we would never want to do anything in time to harm him, or we'd never want to do anything in time to discredit his uh, great name. So again, we used to be slaves of sin. Verse 22 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the Christian derives his benefit, or the Christian produces fruit, resulting in sanctification or holiness, and the outcome or the end result is eternal life. Right. So the Christian has to live who he is now presently. Not who he was. Right. Who he is now presently, freed from slant, sin, enslaved to God, no longer dominated, controlled, governed by sin, but living a life of holiness, because that's who we are now in Christ. Presently, actively, as we live, move, and have our, uh, our being uh, here in time, uh, living like who God has uh, set us free to be. And it's an utterly uh, reasonable uh, demand. And it's, in fact, completely unreasonable and contrary to live the other way, to keep living the way we were before we were saved. It is consistent and reasonable, now that we're converted in Christ, it's reasonable that we would serve him and live according to that freedom that God has now granted us in Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, You have already received all things that pertain to life and godliness. You do not need another experience. You do not need some new gift. You begin everything in Christ. You are in him from the beginning of your Christian life. You're just a slacker or a cad, just lazy or indolent, indeed a liar if you're not living this new life. That's a pretty dramatic, bold, straightforward statement, but a true statement, right? If we're not living the reality of who we are, there's something wrong with us, and there's something with, the re- with the, what we're uh, uh, professing with our lips if our lives don't match up to the new life that we have now in Christ on a practical level. James Boyce says something very much alongside the uh, same uh, level. Uh, he says, God has already done everything necessary for salvation and given to us everything we need to live consistent Christian lives if we fail to do so, it is either because we have not been taught what God has done and therefore do not know how to conduct ourselves as Christians, or we're just too sinful or too lazy, right? I, I do really think there's a whole lot of people who are trapped in; they don't know what God has done for us in Christ because they've not listened or been taught or learned uh, the great truths, especially that are in Romans chapter 6. I mean, Romans chapter 6, again, it, it is a uh, Uh, contrary to almost everything that you hear in the uh, popular world on how to deal with your life and problems that you have with sin, right? But Romans chapter 6 is wonderful truth, God-freeing truth, uh, uh, again, to set us free to understand who we are in Christ and and the great freedom that we have been given by by God's kindness. Now we come to verse 23, our text for this evening. And again, Paul's going to bring the chapter to a conclusion, And he's going to continue to complete the the, uh, contrast between slavery to sin and slavery to Christ. He has one more comparison he's going to put on the table, that being death and life. Slavery to sin leads to death, but slavery to Christ leads to life. Now, he began to explain it in verse 21. And in fact, the first uh, word in verse 23 is 4, which takes us back to these verses. We're going to go back to verse 20 and pick it up there. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin you were freed in regard to righteousness. Right? We talked about that last time. You never, when, Before you came to Christ, you never thought about anything other than unrighteousness. Right? You were freed from righteousness. It's only when you come to Christ that you start to understand the responsibility and the privilege you have in Christ. Therefore, verse 21, Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from those things which you are now ashamed? The outcome of those things is death. Now, the outcome of our old life apart from Christ, when we are slaves of sin was a life of shame you stop and you think about your old life before you got saved and there's probably nothing in it that you glory in it's the only thing that's caused you to be discouraged and shamed uh, of who you used to be and the outcome of that slavery before we were in christ that outs- that that uh, slavery to sin led every man to death verse 22 but now now that you've been wrought- brought to repentance and faith in christ now that you've been taken out of darkness into the light now that you've been taken from the gutter to glory, from a shame filled life to a fruit filled life, now having been freed from sin, which again means you don't have to be defeated by sin anymore. You don't have to choose to dwell in sin. You can actually, in Christ, say no to sin. And again, not because of anything that you've done, but all that has done, been done by you or done by God, because God himself is the one who has freed you, having been freed from sin freed by God himself. Now, having been freed from sin, enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, which again means separation from sin, separation from the world, and progressively looking more and more like the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, being conformed to his image. Resulting in sanctification, it says the outcome, that word outcome means object, or the, the goal, the outcome, eternal life. Now, the outcome of Uh, Slavery to sin was death, but the outcome of slavery to God through Christ is sanctification, a a life of holiness, a life set apart unto God. The outcome, eternal life. Now, eternal life is life without end. It, It is a life that is now able and capable to enjoy the things of God here in time, a life that is capable of and suitable to enjoy our future eternity in heaven with him. It's a new quality of life. It's a present possession of the believer. It's because of our relationship now with the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We have now hope. We, we, we have now, we have hope. We have hope in the future and the world to come. We have hope that we're going to receive a glorified body one day, that we're going to have every tear wiped away, that we're going to be free from sin, we're going to be free from sickness and free from these bodies of death that keep uh, dragging us down. That's a genuine truth, a real truth of the Bible, a life devoted to God in time as well as a life enjoying his presence currently and his presence in the future, all because of our union with Christ. That's what God has done for us as he set us free from sin and enslaved us to him, to himself. So in verse 23, Paul's going to link these two verses together, verse 21 and 22. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now shamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Verse twenty-two. But now, having been freed from sin and slave to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, the outcome eternal life. Verse twenty-three. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now we know this from practical experience, and especially in the day in which we live, the world always likes to divide itself. Right? the, the world likes to divide itself in different categories, different groups. But as I tell you almost every week here, the Bible only has two groups of people. The Bible only recognizes two groups of people. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You are either about to receive the justice due to your sin, which results in eternal death and conscious punishment, or you're going to be the recipient of something that is not of your own doing, something that you have not earned, something that you have not worked for, nor received by your own goodness nor by your religious ritual that being a recipient of divine mercy and divine love and only if you're one who is not looking to or counting on your own righteousness your own religious activity to stand in the presence of god but you're trusting in the righteousness of another a substitute who now currently sits at the right hand of god the father in heaven uh, advocating for us that being the person of the lord jesus christ right you can get what you earn or you can get what is a free gift By trusting in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only two routes in life. That's the only two possibilities for every man. I do not care one whit about your skin color. It's completely irrelevant. There are no races of men. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no middle ground to these truths. You're either facing eternal death or eternal life. There's only two destinies of every man. doesn't matter how much melanin or lack of melanin they have. It's either death or life. It's either hell or heaven. And the outcome for mankind is either the wages of sin or it's the free gift of God. So what Paul does here in verse 23 is he begins to lay out for us the rewards of sin. What do you get for sin? What What is the reward you get? Verse 23 says... For the wages of sin is death. Now the word wages comes from a, a Greek word that has a general meaning for provision, but it usually refers to monies paid when someone renders a service to someone else. Right. So wages is what's due, the worker. Wages is something that is earned. Wages is something that is merit, merited. It's the just payoff, if you will. Wages are the just compensation, something that has uh, been worked hard for, something earned. And again, the wages, the just compensation of sin is death. God warned Adam all the way back in the book of Genesis, 17th verse. He says, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat in that day, you shall not eat in that day that you eat of it, right? From the forbidden tree, you shall surely die. Right? And that's exactly what God promise that's exactly what god said was going to happen that's exactly what happened the moment that adam chose to rebel against god he began to die he immediately died on a spiritual level and then he began to die progressively uh, emotionally and physically Now, it took him many years for his physical death to come to be a reality but it came the aging process began be, began immediately and it was really god in his goodness that warned adam not to take from that tree but he did it Up, uh, he did it anyway Up to this point, before he took the forbidden truth, all Adam knew was good. But in his rebellion against God, not only that did he know good, but now he's going to begin to know evil. At that point that he rebelled, he was going to become polluted with sin, spiritually darkened because of his rebellion, and not only know evil, he was going to become evil. That's what his rebellion did. It darkened him, it defiled him, it brought death to him, and death to all of his offspring. And that rebellion by Adam brought a breach in that once intimate relationship that occurred with uh, God, that intimate relationship with God. I mean, they walked with God in the cool of the day they enjoyed fellowship, but that fellowship was severed. And there's no way for man ever to reconcile or to restore that relationship. So the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that God in his goodness and his compassion, and his mercy, he took the initiative to restore that relationship, and he did so by killing an animal. And he clothed Adam with that skin, which was a picture. It was a foreshadow of the Lamb of God who was to come. The Lamb of God who would ultimately come and take away the sin of the world. It was a picture of God's free gift covering their sin, covering their nakedness. That free gift of God that men do not deserve, but God offers freely the gift of life found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, the Bible says that death came to all mankind because of Adam's rebellion. You might remember back in romans 12 too it just repeats that over and over again through one man romans uh, romans 5 verse 12 through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sin verse 15 many died verse 17 death reigned verse 18 condemnation came to all men verse 19 because through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners the bible tells us that death was not the original plan for god right it was not in his original plan When God made everything, God made everything that was good. It's only when mankind followed the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan and the devil, that led mankind into rebellion, that sin entered into the universe, and sin entered into the realm of mankind, and with it, death. And death certainly is not good. Death, obviously, is the great enemy, the threatened penalty, the penal evil for the first transgression of mankind. And again, death was not part of the original plan for mankind, but death, indeed, is the end. The promised result for the rebellion against the most high god and most certainly a present reality in this world again you just see how people are so blinded to the reality of how things are in this world We talked about it this morning all people want is their bellies full all people want is their physical needs met and people just keep trucking towards a destiny towards an appointed time they all know it's coming but everybody tries to put it out of their mind it's death coming for all of us unless the lord should come and take us before that time why is there death in the world can there be anything done to have victory over death and there's one who provides that victory and the vast majority of the world says i'm not going to believe in him." well my dear friends you don't believe in him; that's your choice but you better believe in death because it's a certainty and i've done lots of funerals and we've been to lots of funerals the present reality in this world that comes in this world because man rebelled against god and it's the due penalty for that rebellion god through the prophet ezekiel and ezekiel 18 says this the soul who sins will die ezekiel 18 verse 20 the person who sins will die and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself god through isaiah says isaiah 3 and 11 woe to the wicked it will go badly with him for what he deserves will be done to him so God says, what the wicked deserve is death. And what they deserve in life is for life to go bad for them. And the words of the great, again, commentator, one of the guys who wrote one of the premier uh, commentaries on the Book of Romans, Robert Haldane, he says, uh, to be bereaved of all that is good and overwhelmed by all that is terrible is what is deserved for the wicked. Right? To be bereaved of all that is good and overwhelmed by all that is wicked. That's what the wicked deserves. The wicked deserve to be kept from or deprived from all that is good and overwhelmed in life with all that is terrible. God, through the prophet, says, woe to the wicked. Woe to those who serve sin. Woe to those who are slaves of sin. They're worthy of condemnation. They're worthy of the wrath of God because of their sin and their rebellion. And they're worthy of death. And they will receive their just recompense for every transgression and every disobedience, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, because they're enemies of God. So indeed, those who are slaves of sin are, are going to get and do or get their due wage. Again, their due wage is eternal death. Eternal death, the wrath of God. That's what slaves of sin have earned. And in right in, in unrighteousness, they have worked their entire life for it. Their entire life for sin, in sin. And in doing so, am, uh, amassing an, an unbelievable amount of and their lawlessness and rebellion, their anarchy against God. And they're going to get paid because God is a just God. They're going to get paid in full for what they've earned. Now, men sin, and they sin in two ways. There's internal sin, there's external sin. Men sin all the time, right? Internally, externally. They sin on the inside with their minds, their attitudes, their hearts. Men sin on the outside with their actions, with their deeds. Men sin by acts of commission, meaning, or sin, and then by sins of omission, commission meaning the evil things that uh, God forbids a man to do and then sins of omission are failing to do those things that God commands. Both are sin. We sin all the time. Evil is always in front of us. Uh, everything we do apart from Christ is always evil in the sight of God. Steve Lawson puts it very well when he says, what we need to see is that one sin, just one sin committed against a holy God is enough to damn the soul of any sinner. God is that infinitely holy and absolutely sovereign He is so high and lifted up that just one sin against him will send a person to hell forever we have no idea how flagrant our sin is it is cosmic rebellion against god it is cosmic treason high-handed anarchy against god and it take and god takes it very seriously far more seriously than any of us take sin for from the very dawn of creation we see the wages of sin is death and that's really true God takes sin seriously. God warned the man, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. And that's indeed what happened. The wages of sin is death. And what do we see in this world all around us? Tell me, stop and think about it. How many people have you met in your life that live eternally? In time? Nobody, right? Everybody comes to their end. Evidence, again, there's something wrong in the world. A rebellion in the world. A penalty that's due that rebellion, which is sin. And just one sin is cosmic treason. It's utter rebellion, high-handed anarchy against God. The problem, again, with most men, as I said this morning, they don't understand how holy God is, and they have no concept of how unholy they are. Most people think that they are more righteous than they actually are, and God is less holy than he actually is. Therefore, that's why people don't see their need of Christ. They think, well, again, if I do more good things than bad things, then in the end, maybe I can get my way into heaven. I've told you a thousand times from this public. God doesn't keep that kind of category. All have sinned, all false are of the glory of God. You're not getting into heaven by your works. It's not going to happen. It's death. The wages of sin is death. And the Bible says there's a first death and a second death. Again, the Bible says the first death is physical. We've talked about that. Again, Paul, back in the book of Romans, just as through one man, Romans 5.12, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin. You want to know where death came from? God tells you. It's sin that paves the way to death. When we sin, death inevitably follows. Verse 14 of that chapter, death reigned from Adam unto Moses because all sin, by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one. Verse 17 of that chapter, It's transgression, our transgression, our sin that brings death. The two are inseparably bound together. Again, Romans 5.21 says, sin reigned in death. Sin always brings forth death. First death is physical. And again, unless Christ returns in our lifetime, every person, even the believer, even the Christian is going to die the first death. But the Bible says there's a second death that the Christian will never face. A second death, the Christian will never die, that the unbeliever will indeed face. Those who die in unbelief are going to reap the wages that is due them from a lifetime of sin. Here again, Paul says, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, in that verse, he is contrasting or comparing that to the end of the verse, which is talks about life, eternal life, right? So the first death is physical but what he's talking about here is a second death, which is eternal, because, again, he's comparing that to the end of the end of the verse. The second death is spoken about in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, said, It is not only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflicted you, verse 7. And when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will deal out retribution, to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Those who have served sin in this lifetime will be doomed forever because of their refusal to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Robert Haldane. The condemned will be entirely divested of every token of the protection and blessing of God, and visited with every proof of his wrath and indignation. All that is terrible is what awaits the unrepentant sinner. Again, I remind you of the words of Mark, or the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 9. Three uh, times in a very short discourse, he, unlike a lot of people today, Jesus Christ actually believed in a literal place called hell. Can you imagine that? I mean, where is this guy? Um, He believed in hell, and he actually spoke about it three times in Mark chapter 9. He says, those who are slaves of sin are going to be cast into hell. It says, a place, verse 43, hell, a place of unquenchable fire, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Verse 45, they'll be cast into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Verse 47, to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. I would encourage you to throw all your books away. By modern writers that say that hell's not a reality. You probably ought to listen to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who knows, because he came from earth to tell us the reality of how things are. Don't listen to people who have no idea what how things are. Listen to the one who knows, and the one who's come to tell us, and the one who's come to warn us of these realities. Now, in that verse, in that section of verses in Mark 9, fire speaks of the intensity of the wrath and the vengeance of a holy God against sinners, where their bodies are not consumed by the fire, but they suffer eternally in that literal flame that can never be extinguished. I mean, it's a terrifying picture put there to scare you. I preached a funeral one time, and I do. If you've ever been to one of my funerals, I always preach about hell. It's reality. Wages of sin is death, and if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. Somebody made the comment or asked somebody what they thought of my sermon. Not that I ever asked that kind of question, but they asked. Well, I I was afraid that he might have scared the little children because he talked about hell so much. You know, I was trying to scare the little children and I was trying to scare the adults too, okay? But hell is a terrifying reality and God puts it in the Bible. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks about it so we would be warned not to go there, right? And so that literal place, hell, that literal punishment, unquenchable fire, uh, the wrath of God, the vengeance of God, bodies are not consumed. It is a portrait of the ungodly who refuse to repent and believe upon the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they will get because that's what they have earned. Eternal death, eternal wrath, eternal punishment, eternal torment. Again, Haldane, every sinner will be preserved by the fire itself, becoming therefore, thereby incorruptible and fitted to endure those torments to which he is destined. The just vengeance of God will render incorruptible the children of wrath, whose misery, any more than the blessedness of righteousness, will never come to an end right? The just wrath of God against those who have rejected grace will be eternal misery. And again, don't let anybody deceive you because the wicked are going to be punished according to what the Bible says, according to the scripture. Again, Haldane, for sin being committed against the infinity of God merits infinite punishment for that sin. You sin against the holy God, you're going to find a uh, holy, holy punishment. You sin against an infinite eternal God, you're going to find infinite eternal punishment for that sin. So great is your uh, uh, a violation of God's standard. So the wages of sin is death. And again, every member of the human race is amassing for themselves a great accumulation of what is due their sin. And again, it's far more terrifying than we can ever imagine. And completely and utterly impossible for any of us to ever repay that debt by our own merit. God, again, does not keep that kind of a category. You do more good, no, you cannot do the good. It's absolutely impossible. You cannot work for your salvation. And again, I say this all the time from the pulpit too. Every religious system out there is working for man's salvation. Kind of Some kind of merit. I'm doing this thing or not doing this other thing in order to gain eternal life. You're not going to ever get it that way. It only comes through Christ. That's why we have the second half of the verse here. So the text goes on, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but. Tremendous word, but. It's a contrast and it's an aversive. Because of the mercy of God, eternal judgment doesn't have to be the final ending. So rather than receiving what you have earned, what you deserve, you can have mercy. You can escape final judgment. For those who repent and place their faith upon Christ, who believe upon Christ alone for their salvation, God offers that gift to you freely. It's called by grace. By the grace of God, by the absolute, undeserved, unmerited gift of salvation found in the person of Jesus Christ. So the alternative to eternal death, the the contrast to the wages of sin, is the free gift of God, and the free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, here's something completely oppositical to the wages of sin. Here's something unearned, something unmerited, something that has nothing to do with the effort on part of the one who receives it. Something that comes to the undeserving, something that comes to those who deserve absolutely no kindness and no thought of consideration of good. Something that comes to man based solely because of the goodness of God, solely because of God's mercy, solely because of God's grace, solely because of God's great love for mankind. And again, it's eternal life. And eternal life comes to a man by God as a gift, as a gift of God's grace, a free gift of God. So again, free the free gift of eternal life uh, comes man solely based upon the gracious God who desires that men would be saved and come to acknowledge the truth through his Son the wages of sin is death but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus our lord so eternal life is the complete opposite of eternal death eternal death is the final irreversible separation from god eternal death is to face an eternity of misery and suffering eternal death is to be left in your iniquity and uncleanness forever what's eternal life well eternal life is the opposite of all that right Eternal life is to know God, to know the blessings of God, to know the mercies of God, the kindness of God, to know God on a personal, intimate level, our great God and King, to know him forever in his presence and to enjoy him. That's where the psalmist says that joy is found. Again, it's not in buying the junk from the world that the world's trying to peddle you. Joy is found in the presence of God. And you can have that presence in God's presence through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God wants you to know him. God wants you to enter into a relationship. So again, relationship with God through Christ is possible <clears throat> in time for all eternity. Death, eternal death, means not to know him. Eternal death means to be cast out of his presence and out of his glory. Eternal life means that we know that when he appears, we're going to be just like him, just as he is, right? As it says in 1 John 3. Eternal life means that we with all, with unveiled face, are going to behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right? We're going to see the glory of our blessed Savior and fall down before him in adoration and worship. Eternal life actually means, according to Revelation chapter 4... That we're going to be a part of the great company of believers in the future who will fall down before him, who sits on the throne, and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast the crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, because you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Eternal life also means, in Revelation chapter 5, that we're going to be a part of those who fall down before the Lamb, worshiping him who was slain and purchased for God with his blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation eternal life means that we're going to be a kingdom of, and priests to our god and that we're going to reign upon the earth eternal life means that with a loud voice we will be saying worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessings and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and amen and amen and amen and amen and amen right revelation chapter five that's eternal life eternal life is the end result of of those who are slaves of righteousness and slaves of God. Again, verse 22, but having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, the outcome the outcome eternal life for the wages of sin. Verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Eternal life means that you're going to have all of eternity to share the glory and the life of God. Again, enjoying him. Finally, completely sanctified, completely free from uh, sin free from this body of death again now make sure that you don't overlook this i often say this too but make sure that you don't overlook the point that eternal life begins now here in time it's not something that happens in the by and by in the future right somewhere down the road so to speak <coughs> in eternity future <coughs> excuse me eternal life begins the moment you changed. because uh, the moment you're saved because the moment you're saved you're changed right the moment you're regenerated the moment you're justified 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things new have come. That's tremendous truth. Romans 6 and 4. Christ is Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. Christ offers people not just salvation in the future. Christ offers people a new life in time. That's the biblical teaching. Well, how does this happen? How, how, how do we receive this free gift of eternal life. Well, the text tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's in Christ Jesus. It's all about Christ. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, we have no help. We're nothing without Christ. Because of Christ, we're justified before God by faith. Because of Christ, we have peace with God. Because of Christ, we have our access into the realm of grace into which we stand. Because of Christ, we have hope, of the glory of God. Because of Christ, We've been saved from the wrath of God to come. Because of Christ, we've been reconciled to God. It's all because of Christ. And God, in his unmerited kindness, imputes to us the righteousness of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Lord Jesus Christ steps in time, puts on our humanity, bears our sin in his body on the cross. God makes him who knows no sin, right? Him who knew no sin, to be the sin bearer of everybody who had repented and placed their faith in him. And so Christ goes before us and as our substitute bears our sin god takes all of our unrighteousness puts it on the person of the lord jesus christ he bears the punishment and he gives to us and return the righteousness of the person of the lord jesus christ he forgives us he unites us together with christ Uh, again i just can't help but going back and looking again at romans six as we're working our way towards the end of the chapter here but again it's a repeated theme our union with christ look at verse three Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall be like in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin, Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him for the death that he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is tremendous truth, because we are united with Christ. What happened to him happened to us. He died to sin, we died to sin. We have been set free from that realm, again, because of our union with the Savior. Right, united with Christ, dead to sin, alive to God in Jesus Christ. I and mean, we could look at other passages of Scripture, the book of Ephesians, for example. In Christ, we've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ, God chose us before the foundation of the world that we'd be holy and blameless before him. In love. Verse 5 of that chapter, God predestined us through Christ the adoption of sons to himself according to the kind intention of his will. In Christ... Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In Christ, verse 13 of that chapter, Ephesians 1, you, after listening to the message of the truth of the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our possession, or a pledge of our inheritance, the view of the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. It's exactly what I said this morning. It's not our hanging on to Christ is the issue. You're not the issue. I'm not the issue. It's Christ holding on to us and promising never to let us go. All because of God. All because of Christ. All because of God in his kindness. And all because of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then all because of the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. He comes. He quickens our dead spirits. He brings us to life. He makes us alive together in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us. And directs us in our walk in this newness of life. It's the Holy Spirit who pinned through all the different various authors the text of the of the bible the holy spirit right and and the holy spirit makes the scripture alive in our hearts so we can understand god's word it's the holy spirit that works in us progressively and sanctifies us here now in time again making us look more and more like the person of the lord jesus christ again stop and think about before you came to christ you read the bible and you go yeah whatever something happened that moment you believed you were changed and then you pick up the bible and you go i can't set this book down this book i not only read this book this book reads me right this book the more i read this book the more i need to read this book the more it's drawing me in it's drawing me closer and closer to the person of the lord jesus christ i i set it down only because of the weakness of my flesh i'm tired but i love christ more every time i pick it up and read it that's what the person of the holy spirit does he draws us to christ and again, this is all because of God's kindness, but it's all because of our union, or the text says being in Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, not in religion, not in being good, not in coming to church, but in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that when Christ died, Paul wrote this to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. When Christ died, Paul says, uh, Colossians 2, 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So that certificate of debt that was nailed to the cross is a list of every sin that we've ever committed and the divine punishment assigned to that sin. And God took every sin we've ever committed in our entire life, from our beginning to the moment we die, and he posted that certificate of our debt on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the corresponding punishment that we would pay which is eternal death. And when Christ died upon the cross, what did he say? What were the words, do you remember? It is finished. It's finished. Meaning our debt has been paid in full. Not by us, but by him. So again, when Christ died, we died with him. When he died, he paid our penalty through his shed blood. And through his shed blood, he provided for us forgiveness of our sin, every one of our transgressions. He paid our sin debt in full, absolutely in full, having canceled out the certificate of debt. It no longer exists. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's pretty good news. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus pays off our sin debt completely. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He paid the whole mountain of our sin debt with his blood. And when he arose from the dead, proving that God accepted his sacrifice as full payment for the wages of sin, we who place our faith in him, we arise with him to newness of life. And again, he gives us that free gift of eternal life. I mean, tremendous truth. Tremendous truth and a tremendous Savior. Again, eternal life comes because of our union with him. Our union with our Savior. Christ Jesus, who's not just our Savior, but look what it says there at the end of the verse. Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. Again, remember I told you the fallacious teaching that uh, some people would say, well, not only does uh, grace lead you to licentiousness, but licentiousness, uh, liberty and sin and paul says no that's not true uh, grace is going to lead you to holiness there's a whole set of people out there that says well you can divest jesus from savior and lord you can choose to take him at two different times you know that's not what it says here it says jesus christ is our lord not just our savior you can't say you're going to take him somewhere down the, l- the road as your lord you know i'm going to make him lord of my life at this date in the future because again christ can't be divided you don't have that that uh, that ability right he is both who he is, exactly who he is. He's is. He is both Lord and Savior. Again, Haldane. He says, His people, God's people, are constantly keeping in mind that Jesus Christ is their Lord, whose authority they are ever to regard, and whom as their Lord and Master they are implicitly to obey. For he is the Lord both of the dead and the living, to whom every knee shall bow, before whose judgment seat all shall stand. That's a tremendous uh, statement. Goes right along with the writer of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 5 9. It says, Speaking of Christ, he. Uh, Christ, right? Having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. He is the source of eternal salvation, but not to the disobedient. It's only those who obey him. So are you going to call yourself a Christian and yet refuse to obey Christ? Are you going to pronounce yourself saved and yet walk in rebellion and sin before him? Are you going to continue in sin while you claim to be united with Christ in order that grace might increase in your life? Are you going to walk in sin while you claim to be a servant of righteousness? And, of course, the answer to all those questions is, may it never be, God forbid, it's impossible. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the great uh, expositor uh, out of England, says this, the whole object of salvation is to bring us to glory where we shall be perfect and spotless and sinless without wrinkle or any such thing. Holy and perfect in the presence of God. That's God's purpose. Is there anything, therefore, which can be so monstrous and foolishness, foolish and irrational, as to suggest that the preaching of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone leads people to a life of wanton and continual sin? Right? It's absolutely unfathomable. Christ has purchased us to set us free. Do not go back into that slave market. Do not go back into that old slavery. Don't lock yourself up like Otis does every night. It's craziness. Walk out, be free. Right? The whole object of our justification, the whole object of Christ coming to redeem is to make a people in time that are not sinless, but they're holy. In time, progressively, living apart from the world, looking different from the world, looking more and more like him in time, so that people around them might go, what in the world's wrong with you? And you might go, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, there's actually something actually really right with me, It's nothing I've done. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. Let me tell you about it, right? Salt in the world, light in the world. If you don't look different, if you're not acting different, if you aren't different, then you're probably not salt and light in the world. You're probably not who you claim to be. Because I actually believe that Jesus Christ saves his people from their sins. I know that's kind of a strange statement to make, but I actually believe that. Right? That's what Jesus Christ does. Not just in the by and by, but actually in time. Progressively we're made look more and more like the Savior. So if you're outside of Christ, the sad reality is you're going to pay the penalty of your sin debt forever. If you've heard the gospel and you remain hard to that truth and not repenting, you're actually incurring upon yourself greater judgment. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews 10.26 For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Every time you or every time another person hears the gospel and rejects it and goes on willfully sinning in unbelief, you are storing up wrath for yourself. That's why Christ spoke about hell, to warn you, Of the reality of what's coming for your rebellion every time you reject the gospel you go on willfully sinning in unbelief you're storing up wrath for yourself hebrews 10 verse 29 how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the son of god and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace verse 30 for we know him who said vengeance is mine I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, Hebrews 10, verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Every time you sit in church and you hear the gospel, every time somebody comes up to you and shares the gospel with you and you refuse to repent, you refuse to submit your life to the Lord of the universe, to give your life to Christ, Every time you come on a Sunday morning and hear the gospel and you're in a hurry to get out of here and go have lunch or do something else that you think you need to do, you're insulting the spirit of grace and you're trampling underfoot the Son of God. It is exactly like you're spitting in the face of God's mercy. Every time you hear the gospel and refuse to repent, you it means to you that the death of Christ means nothing, absolutely nothing to you. And again, all you're doing every time you hear the gospel is you're starting up for yourself a severe judgment than those who've never heard the gospel. Right? Those who've never heard the gospel uh, can't trample underfoot the precious blood of Christ. But you do each and every day that you hear the gospel and refuse to repent. What about the natives in Africa that have never heard? We're not concerned about the natives of Africa. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about you who continue to hear the gospel and don't repent, who don't come to the truth. don't submit yourself to the lordship of the person of jesus christ and fall down before him the wages of sin is death the free gift of god is eternal life i was reading again an article this uh, week from i don't remember who it was from but it was about how old-time preachers used to preach how they used to preach with great conviction and the author said you know they preach on these subjects over and over again they preach on the ugliness of sin the judge, that judgment is sure, that eternity is long, and only Jesus saves. I thought, well, that's a pretty good four-point outline there that people don't hear much anymore any in the day in which we live, right? And the author of that article went on to bring forth an analogy, an old analogy that I thought was interesting and perhaps somewhat helpful to give us a perspective on eternity because it's hard for us to get our minds around eternity. And he explained eternity like this. He says, it's like up in the way north land there's a rock. The rock is 100 miles high, 100 miles wide and once every thousand years a little bird comes to this rock to sharpen its beak and when the sh- the rock has been completely worn away then a single day of eternity will have passed and that's a pretty good picture big rock 100 miles by 100 miles and a little tiny bird thousand years once every thousand years comes and when that rock is gone that's just one day in eternity we can't fathom eternity Right, but again, he's trying to give, at least give us a, a picture of eternity because we're all eternal beings. I mean, This life is so short. I mean, what does the Bible say about this life? It's a vapor. It's like you're cooking something on a stove. You boil up some water and some steam comes up and it's gone. It never turns it back again. It never, that's our life. And every one of us as eternal beings created in the image of God, who is an eternal person, are going to live eternally either in eternal torment or in the eternal presence of God enjoying him, enjoying his presence that's why God through the prophet Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 33 as I live declares the Lord I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live, turn back turn back from your evil ways why will you die O house of Israel it's a great question and I say to those who are either listening to me on the live stream or here in the room, right, who don't know Christ, why will you die in your sin? When God offers you freely the gift of eternal life through his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation, the 20th chapter, says, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon him, whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And so the dead, the great, and the small standing before the throne, and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which are written and the books according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, and every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, for this is the second death, the lake of fire. Anyone's name is not found in the written, and the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Be warning, final judgment's coming. And God has recorded every sinful thought, every sinful deed, every sinful word or action uh, of a man's life. And in the end, in the day of judgment, all sinners are going to receive exactly what they deserve, which is perfect justice. For the unbeliever, there will be no advocate. There will be no advocate to stand in their place, by their side at the final judgment, to plead their case at that time every mouth is going to be closed there's going to be no excuses there's not nothing else further that's going to be need to be said and the divine holy judge of the universe is going to judge you according to your sin the wages of sin is death physical the wages of sin is death the second death which is eternal from which there's no escape no acquittal but those sinners who in time have repented and come to Christ and believed upon him those sinners who in time have desired mercy instead of judgment which is full and free they too will receive perfect justice through a perfect savior who has stood as their perfect substitute and will not be judged by their deeds but will be judged by the righteous deeds of the righteous one who's taken the stroke that was due them and for them they'll have eternal life Everybody's getting justice, I guarantee you. The world wants justice. The world, in its absolute folly, has no idea what they're talking about. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if you're listening to me, however, live stream or in the room, if you're not repented, you need to flee to Christ. You need to flee to Christ. Enjoy what you've not earned, what you do not deserve. God's tremendous grace, God's undeserved free gift of eternal life. Because his grace found nowhere else except in the person of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who said, John eight ten 10 and 28, I give eternal life to them. They will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. All right. So again, where are you this evening? You're only in one of two places. Only one of two places. You're either receiving the wages of your sin that you have earned that will result in spiritual death and conscious eternal punishment, or you have received the divine mercy and the grace, the love of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only two possibilities, only two positions, no middle ground, death or life, hell or heaven, the wages of sin or the free gift of God. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for this wonderful truth. We're thankful for the whole book of Romans, but especially this sixth chapter that we've been studying together for so long and this really monumental climactic uh, verse that just puts it in the reality of the truth, that there is life in Christ and judgment everywhere else. We're thankful for your kindness, your compassion. We're thankful for the truth that you have provided for us. I pray, Lord, that you'd work in the hearts and minds of those who have listened, that those who do not know you might repent, that those of us who do know you would fall down even more before you and worship and praise and tell you how much we love you and are so thankful for your kindness to us through Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.